0: So let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, please help us to see your glory in this passage tonight. Help us to see how wonderful it is to know and be known by you, the generous and compassionate God. Please help me to faithfully preach this passage. Use me in my weakness to explain it clearly and apply it helpfully. And give everyone here at church or watching on live stream uh, ears to hear that they might grow in their trust in you and in your son, Jesus, tonight. we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, when was the last time you came across an example of crazy generosity? Uh, I read about an act of crazy generosity just the other day, and it really warmed my heart. A man in the state of New Hampshire in the U.S., I shocked the staff at the Stumble Inn bar and grill when he left them a $16,000 tip after ordering a couple of hot dogs, some fries, and a drink or two. Now, I can be blown away by a good hot dog as much as the next guy, but there is no hot dog on this planet that's $16,000 good. See, what this guy did for that staff was crazy generous. And one of the waitresses who worked that night was quoted as saying, you know, I've been doing this a very long time and I never thought anything like this would happen to me. Uh, It's just been a really rough year for all of us. And we don't live in a tipping culture like the US, uh, but in the States, waiters and waitresses rely on tips to kind of supplement the minimal wage they're getting. Big tips, therefore, make a big difference. Can you imagine being on the receiving end of that kind of generosity. Do you ever dream about being on the receiving end of that kind of generosity? Uh, Sometimes Ruth and I will dream together of a scenario in which our landlord, out of the goodness of his heart, simply decides to give us the property we're living in. (laughs) We talk about what changes we'd make, the things that we'd knock down or fix up. See, how awesome would it be to experience, to receive crazy generosity. Now, while most of us will never come across such a crazy generous tipper or a crazy generous landlord, each of us has the opportunity tonight to encounter someone far better, someone far more generous, in fact. You see, that's what this short passage does for us tonight. It reveals to us the almighty God who is both willing and able to be crazy generous to desperate and needy people, people like us, as we'll see. So what I'll do is look at this story of the widow in three parts, uh, her huge desperation, the huge provision, and then the huge salvation she receives. And once we've thought about the story, we'll then think about how we too can be saved and changed by God's great generosity to us in Jesus. So let's think about first the huge desperation we see at the start of this passage. Read with me from verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and, I know, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Uh, During my Bible college years, one of the messages that was repeatedly given to ministers in training was the message to keep loving your wife. Uh, This message kept coming because being the wife of a minister can, at times, be quite tough. Uh, They can feel the weight and stress of their husband's responsibilities. Uh, The household income might be lower than it might have otherwise been. The husband is often out a number of nights a week. Uh, being a minister's wife can get a bit tough, and that's why we were repeatedly told keep loving your wife. Now, if being a, the wife of a minister in, can be tough in 2021, imagine the rough ride this ministry man's wife may well have had in the days of Elisha. See, she was married to one of the few faithful prophets left in Israel. And I can only imagine she would have felt the stress of seeing her husband pressured and persecuted for his faith for his faithful ministry during the evil reign of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. We're actually told back in one Kings chapter eighteen that Scott preached on that Obadiah had to hide a hundred of Israel's faithful prophets, put them in caves to keep them from being killed by Jezebel. Perhaps her husband had needed to go into hiding for some time. Or perhaps his ministry simply meant that he was away for long periods of time from the household. You know, on top of these real possibilities, we get the sense in this verse that there was some financial stress in the household. It would seem from verse one that her husband had to borrow some money to keep her family going, to keep the family going. Now, maybe he had a plan to pay that money back. Maybe he had some extra work lined up that he was sure would pay off the bills. But whatever plan he had, it comes to nothing when he himself dies. And so with the death of her husband, this woman, who probably hadn't had the easiest run, now finds herself in total desperation. In fact, she has a kind of double grief. Not only does she have the grief of losing her beloved husband, who in ancient times would have been her source of provision, she also has the grief of thinking that her two precious sons will be sold into slavery to pay off her bills. And you can really feel her depression in verse 1, can't you? And we're not told that she simply speaks or makes an appointment with Elisha. She goes and cries out to him. Her words carry a raw grief and even a sense of kind of confusion or injustice about her whole situation. It's like she's saying, Elisha, my husband was a good man. You know that he feared the Lord, but now this? And now I have to see him die, I have to watch my boys become slaves, and I have to slowly become destitute and all alone. May God help me, Elisha. In her complete desperation, this widow cries out to God by crying out to his prophet Elisha. And how does God respond? Well, in a beautiful display of compassion, God generously provides, which is the second point, the huge provision in this passage. Uh, Most of us know the disappointing feeling that comes when we get less than what we hoped for. You know, you open a packet of chips, it's one-third full. What the? (laughs) Uh, You go on a Queensland holiday only to find that it's washed out by a week's worth of rain. The medical treatment only provides minimal relief. We don't like it when we get less than what we hoped for, but we love it when we get more than what we hoped for. I experienced this a couple of months ago when a generous friend of ours offered to give us some firewood Uh, that he'd cut up uh, on his country property. Now, I had expected that we would get whatever was kind of left over from what his own family had taken. Uh, But when he arrived, I discovered that he had filled his enormous tandem trailer full of wood just for us. He had made a trip to and from the country just for us. I couldn't believe how much he was giving us. But the generosity didn't stop there. After he'd sort of helped to unload it all, he then proceeded to give us this kind of brand new wood carry sling. Uh, It it sort of helps you carry small loads of wood into the house so that you don't get mess everywhere. I I was blown away by this guy's generosity and his provision for us. See, I had started that day with a few bits of dodgy scrap wood. I'd ended that day with a mountain of pre-cut premium wood and a new carry sling. So now every time I sort of drive into a servo and I see those bags of firewood, those small bags selling for like $13, it reminds me of what a huge provision this friend uh, had given to us. So isn't it just awesome when your expectations are blown out of this world? through a generous provision. And that's what happens with this widow. This widow seeks God in her desperation, and she gets a lesson in just how abundantly generous the true God is. She starts her day with nothing or next to nothing. She ends that day with a huge and valuable something. Read with me from verse 2. Elisha replied to her, "'How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house?' "'Your servant has nothing at all,' she said, "'except a small jar of olive oil.'" So basically, nothing at all. Elisha said, "'Go around and ask all of your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. "'Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons, "'pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side.'" Now, we're not really told why the woman is told to shut the door, so it's kind of hard to be exactly sure. But maybe it was because uh, God was simply highlighting to this woman and her sons how they and they alone were the special focus of his care and generosity in that moment. But did you notice that in in verse 3, Elisha just expects God to be crazy generous? See what he says there? Don't ask For just a few jars. Trust me, he says, I know God and he's not going to be stingy with you. So you get as many as you can. He's going to fill them all up. And in an act of faith, the widow does what Elisha says. In fact, she follows his instructions to a T. Verse 5 tells us that she left him. She shuts the door behind her and her sons and they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And I love her faith here. You see, she is told of God's great generosity and she actually believes it. There's no kind of it's-too-good-to-be-true hesitation going on with her. At no point do you get the sense that she's ready to quit. At no point does she say, well, all right, then I'm sure God's done just about enough. I don't really want to bother him anymore. No, when every square inch of her house is full with jars of oil, she asks for another empty. In fact, it's only when her son says to her, Mom, there's not an empty jar left in town, that the oil stops flowing, verse 6. The widow starts that day with nothing, just a little oil in a little jar, as she ends that day with everything. Wall to wall with jars of all shapes and sizes, filled to the brim with precious oil. I find this miracle similar to the way Jesus provides lunch for 5,000 people out of a little boy's tiny play lunch. God transforming nothing into a great big something. It's a beautiful picture of both God's power and God's compassion. See, God is not short of resources. He has the power to bring something from nothing. And God is not short of love, as this passage shows us. He hears the cry of that widow, he has compassion on her, he generously provides for her. Now we're going to think in a moment about how this act of generosity by God points us forward to his greater generosity and provision in Jesus, but it's actually worth remembering at this point God's great ability and his great willingness to provide for the daily needs of his people. See, the God of this widow is the God of us. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray, Heavenly Father, give us today our daily bread. Or our our Heavenly Father cares for us and listens to our prayers for provision. That's also why Paul uh, reassures the Philippian believers in chapter 4, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. See, we need to know our God is not stingy. Our God is not powerless. Our God is abundantly generous and loving to his children in need. And I suspect many of you have actually tasted God's goodness in this way. The provision of work at just the right time. The visit of a friend at just the right time. The delivery of a meal just when you need it the provision of grace and endurance that you needed to get you through that particular trial, God is powerful, God is loving, God is generous. And we simply need to be like this woman and keep asking him and trusting him to provide. So we've seen the woman's huge desperation. We've seen God's huge provision. Now we see the full glory of God of the widow's huge salvation. So read with me that last verse, verse 7. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is on what is left. Sell, pay, live. God's marvelous generosity saves this woman and her sons. Now remember, this woman began this day with a kind of double grief. Not only the grief of losing her husband and provider, but also the grievous realization that she was going to lose her sons to slavery. But did you notice that this woman ends her day with a kind of double salvation? Not only is she able to pay off the creditors' debts and save her sons from slavery, she and her boys are now able to keep living off the rest of the proceeds. God has saved her from the imminent danger of slavery, and he has saved her from the future danger of destitution. God has delivered to this no-name widow a huge salvation. Within her day, within a day, her world goes from desperation to salvation. One of the movies I grew up on uh, growing up in my family was the movie Oliver of the 1968 adaptation of Charles Dickens' novel, based around the story of Oliver Twist. As many of you know, Oliver was born and raised in poverty, and he eventually gets caught up with a bunch of pickpockets in London, but in a remarkable display of kindness and generosity, Oliver is taken out of that world and adopted into the home of the wealthy Mr Brownlow. Uh, Oliver's the difference in Oliver's two worlds is kind of like night and day. He goes from grimy, stinky, kind of corrupt to clean, safe, secure. And the difference is so stark for Oliver that he breaks out into a song: Who can buy this wonderful feeling? And I love that story because it captures so wonderfully. How good it is to go from a life of desperation to a life of provision. See, can you imagine the wonderful feeling this widow must have had when she saw all the oil in her house and then heard the words of Elisha, sell, pay, live. That would have been something worth singing about. It would have been surely much more wonderful than receiving a $16,000 tip, much more wonderful than being gifted a four-bedroom house in Watsonia. That would have even trumped all the twists, I think. Yeah, here's the thing about our passage tonight. While it gives us a beautiful picture of God's huge generosity and compassion, in many ways, this passage simply sets the scene, gives a preview of the greater generosity and compassion that God pours out in his provision to us, in his provision of Jesus, to desperate and needy sinners. You see, if you want to experience the supremely wonderful feeling of a saved and changed life, you find it now in Jesus. He is the one who offers to provide us with the crazy generosity that most of us long to receive. God saves this woman from financial ruin by paying her debt with oil. Jesus saves us from spiritual ruin by paying our debt with his blood. You see, God in his word tells us that there's a greater spiritual debt that we've all incurred. The debt of guilt due to our sin. God has found each one of us guilty in his sight for the multitude of ways we have ignored him as our creator and broken his commandments to love him and love others as he wants us to. It's sometimes hard for us to fathom, but our sinful rejection of the holy God puts us in a more desperate state than the woman of this passage. You see, we can't pay off our debt of guilt And left to ourselves, we would be facing God's just judgment for sin, which is death, eternal death in a judgment the Bible refers to as hell. But the good news is that God doesn't leave us in our desperate state as sinners. Amazingly, and it is amazing, God chooses to treat sinners with the same compassion and love as he treats this widow in this passage. Out of his abundant generosity, God gives to sinners his son Jesus, who pays our debt of guilt by taking upon himself our sin and dying for it at the cross. Jesus pays the penalty of death. We are given the promise of forgiveness and life through faith in him paul expresses god's merciful generosity and kindness to sinners like us in this way in titus 3 at one time we too were foolish disobedient deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures we lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another paul saying we were desperately trapped in sin and the debt of guilt Oh, but when, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of any righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by, grace, by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Huge desperation due to sin, huge and generous provision in Jesus, huge salvation as we see Jesus washing our sin away, justifying us in God's sight, giving us the sure hope of eternal life. Who will buy that wonderful feeling? You see, if the widow ever needed a reminder about how much God had generously loved and saved her... All she needed to do was cast her eyes across the room and all those jars of oil sitting there. If you ever need a reminder about how much God has loved you and saved you, all you do is need, All you need to do is cast your thoughts to the cross. All you need to do is think about the generosity of God that would lead him to give of his beloved son for sinners like us. Huge desperation, huge provision, huge salvation. So what does all this mean for us? Well, first thing I think it means is that we put our trust in the generous God who richly provides for us in Jesus. You see, we are called in many ways to be like this widow recognizing our desperate state as sinners and crying out to God for mercy. And we know from this passage and from the Gospels of Jesus that God is compassionate and generous. He hears the cries of desperate sinners and he responds. Romans ten thirteen says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No one misses out with our generous God. God is not stingy with his salvation. He's generous. You just need to ask him if you haven't done so already. And if you haven't done that yet, but you'd actually like to find out more about what it means to trust and follow Jesus, well, come and speak to me or Neil or a Christian that you know here. Or you might like to sign up to our next Christianity Explored course starting in a couple of Tuesdays' time. See, that is actually a good course, that unpacks the extent of God's generosity to you in Jesus. So that's the first thing I'd say. This passage points us to God's generous and ultimate provision in Christ, and it calls us to put our trust in him for salvation from our desperate state of sin. But I think this passage also teaches us to love like the generous God, particularly in our attitude towards those who are in desperate need. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God's people were repeatedly called to love like the God they claimed to follow. So the prophet Isaiah says to Israel in chapter 1, learn to do what is right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow, be like the compassionate and generous God you know Israel. And it's actually the same message for us as Christians in the New Testament. Think about how James defines what is pure religion. That is a God-honoring life. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, how do we thank God for his generosity to us? that is shown in Christ. Well, one big way is by showing God-like, Christ-like love and generosity to the needy and desperate in our church and in our community. If God cares about a no-name widow, we should care about no-name widows. If God cares about the plight of fatherless boys, we should care about that. Now, those who are in desperate need in our day aren't always going to be widows and fatherless children, but sometimes they will be. I was distressed to discover this week that an elderly widow on our street, someone whom I've had many chats with, shared the gospel with, that she had a fall in her house. She was taken to hospital, and she's been in a state of confusion and distress ever since. Uh, The message that's come from uh, her son, is that she won't be returning to our street. So what should I do? Well, generous love says that I don't just look out for her when I see her on our street, when it's convenient for me, but also when it's inconvenient. Generous love calls me to give of my time and energy and track down a contact number, organise a hospital visit and go and see her. If my God loves the widow in distress, I must love the widow in distress. If my Savior gave of his life for me, I can give of my time and energy for her. Who is it for you? It won't always be a widow, but there are many other people who may be in needy circumstances Or just simply need a good dose of generosity. I was encouraged recently by someone's interest in helping out with a particular child with special needs in Sunday school. You see, that is an act of generous love to both the child and the parents. But there are other people in need, those in our number who feel distressed by a particular physical or mental illness or grief those who feel trapped in a dead-end job, those who feel trapped in a challenging marriage or difficult relationship, those who feel anxious about their finances, how they're going to pay the rent. See, as you keep getting to know more new people or as you keep asking the occasional deeper question, you'll come across desperate and needy people. And you actually may be one of those people. And if you are, well, please let us know because we want to actually be generous to you in our love. But the generous love of God to this desperate widow should shape our love to those who are desperate in our midst. Now, sometimes this might require us to be generous with our time, driving someone to an appointment, maybe sometimes our energy, chatting with someone after church even when we're a bit tired. Sometimes it might Uh, mean giving of our money or other material resources. We are to love like the generous God. I'll close by reflecting on uh, one last example that has always stuck with me. Uh, In the first year of the two-year traineeship I did, maybe about 11 years ago here at church, uh, I remember being quite strapped for cash at that point. It turns out being a ministry trainee isn't a lucrative endeavour. And that's why I was so encouraged by the particular generosity shown to me by a kind-hearted person following one service. Uh, This particular person was actually a missionary that we supported as a church. He and his family were home on furlough, and he had picked up a little bit of extra labouring work uh, while he was back. And he found me after the service and said, Chris, I've just earned a bit more money than I expected to earn this week and I'd like you to have it. He then put 50 bucks in my hand and that might not sound like a lot to most of us now. It doesn't sound like heaps to me right now, but it was to me then. And I suspect it probably was for his missionary family as well at the time. But that moment has always served as a wonderful example of Christ-like, generous love. You see, how does that kind of God-honouring, generous love become increasingly present in the lives of all of us, though? Well, I think it happens, as we know personally, the generous God of this passage. The God who reveals himself primarily in Jesus the God who had mercy on us in our huge desperate state, who gave up his son to be our huge provision and allowed us through faith in Jesus to receive that huge salvation. I think that's how. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, we praise you for your abundant generosity to us. Uh, We know that because of our sin, we are desperately needy people. And so we give you thanks that in your great love for us, you richly provided for us in our Savior, Jesus. Thank you for the salvation that comes to us through faith in Jesus. Help us to show our thanks to you, Father, by being like you and generously loving those in need around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.